Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. It's Friday, December 28, 2018, and you're listening to Up to Date, Inquiring Minds' weekly recap of science in the news. I'm Kishore Hari. This week, 2018 comes to an end, which means it's time to recap our favorite science stories of the year. And Indre is out this week, but I've compiled a top 10 science stories, according to me, uh, from around the spectrum of science, from discoveries to amazing feats of engineering, to even places where science got a little bit political. And so without further ado, here's my top 10 science stories of the year in no particular order. Let's start with a discovery. Four billion years ago in a galaxy far, far away, a jet of ionized stuff got ejected from this special galaxy called a blazar. This is where it's a huge galaxy with a black hole at the center like most galaxies. And perpendicular to the axis of turning, we see a jet of ionized stuff get sent out in, in both directions. Well, some of that ionized stuff came straight towards Earth. And when it reached us, it hit a series of 86 detectors buried deep beneath the ice in Antarctica. At this ice cube detector, as it's called, uh, they are able to tell telltale signs of neutrinos which is a feat in and of itself because neutrinos are incredibly difficult to detect. There's billions of neutrinos that pass through us every day, and they typically just don't interact with anything. So the ability to have a sensitive instrument to detect the neutrinos was one thing. Two, to be able to track those neutrinos back to their source because neutrinos travel in a straight line was another amazing feat. So now we know that these galaxies, blazars as they're called, can be a source of neutrinos. And more importantly, they're a source of cosmic rays uh, that are infiltrating the entire universe, which is an exciting discovery. And I still think it's sort of amazing that we track the source of a single neutrino back 4 billion years along its flight path to a galaxy across the universe. It's just amazing what physics can do. Number nine, I have to say scientists are people too, and we lost some amazing ones in 2018. I want to highlight a couple in particular that meant a lot to me. Uh, we lost Ruth Gates, who is a preeminent coral researcher who maintained a lab at the University of Hawaii. She was a part advocate, part teacher, part science communicator. I think what was incredible about her is, is just how strongly she advocated 
for coral conservation uh, in a time when the data started to show that reefs were in trouble all across the world due to rising temperatures. Uh, Ruth was also an incredible advocate for LGBT voices in STEM, um, particularly in academia, and blazed a path that many researchers have followed in since. She led an amazing life and uh, will not easily be forgotten. Ed Young wrote an amazing uh, tribute to her work and the ripple effects of her work in The Atlantic earlier this year, and I highly recommend reading that. Also this year, we lost Leon Letterman. He was a Nobel Prize-winning physicist who helped expand our knowledge of the subatomic world, like uh, discovering the bottom quark and and uh, expanding our notion of what subatomic particles could be. That's just a, I, I can't even uh, verbalize how big of a uh, discovery some of his work was early in his life. Uh, I had the privilege of meeting Leon once. He was really kind of childlike, sprite-like. He's kind of a joker, slightly sarcastic, and I thoroughly enjoyed his spirit. And he'll be incredibly missed by the entire scientific community, particularly amongst physicists, where he is really able to link the physics of the small um, in quantum mechanics and particle physics to the physics of the big in cosmology, uh, along with many other physicists of his time. Uh, Leon became newsworthy again uh, late in his life, both in 2017 and 2018, when it came to light that he had to sell off his Nobel Prize for approximately three quarters of a million dollars uh, to fund uh, paying for his health care costs, uh, for his end of life health care costs, uh, which is just a commentary of the state of affairs that our health care system in the U.S. is in at this point. Uh, that even a Nobel Prize winning physicist, one that had an incredible career, you know, head of Fermilab, uh, still uh, had to struggle paying with those bills. I want to highlight that those are two luminaries that we lost this year, and and they're famous ones, and ones that will will not be easily forgotten. But we lost many people in science this year both luminaries and to the technicians and maintenance staff that make scientific facilities run. Uh, so I raise a glass to remember all of them this year. Number eight begins with almost a Netflix-like story, which is the case of the Golden State Killer, which was solved by Netflix and True Crime podcasts. Well, not, not exactly, but the idea that the Golden State Killer, which was a unsolved case was aided in its solution by DNA testing kits, which discovered a link to a a certain uh, set of people that eliminated down to the eventual killer, who was then confirmed via other evidentiary data. To me, the Golden State Killer case, which got a lot of headlines, uh, especially with the Hollywood-type connections that it had, brought to light a bigger issue, which is the imperfect nature of forensic science, which is a total mess. Forensic science barely deserves the word science at this point with the way that it's been misused throughout history. The inaccuracy of the way certain DNA tests were conducted, the way that evidence is is generally maintained and tested. The Innocence Project has certainly demonstrated 
the infallibility of approaches to forensic science. And we've seen that all the way up to the political system where Jeff Sessions, before he was attorney general, gutted a lot of the work that had gone in to reform how we conduct forensic science. All of that being said, uh, it the Golden State Killer case also emphasized an interesting area of that is ripe for discussion in 2019 and beyond, which is with the advent of these consumer testing kits. Where does our privacy begin and end? Obviously, this is a huge victory for uh, DNA testing, but in a way, it also, to me, brings forth the idea of like when I spit and send in my my data, I know I'm willingly sharing that information, quote unquote, anonymously with the research community. But where does my privacy end with that information? Where can it go? What decisions should be able to be made from it? Who has access to it? These are questions that we don't have many regulations around right now. There's a few in place, uh, but largely we're relying on the privacy policies of the companies that are actually conducting the testing themselves. And I think that brings together an open question. And that's why, even though I thought the Golden State Killer case was overwrought and overproduced in terms of how big of a story it was, brought to light a lot of underlying issues that I think make it one of the biggest stories of the year. Number seven was a National Academy report on sexual harassment in science, which brought to light a long pervasive trend. Uh, We've covered this story on Inquiring Minds in the past about how pervasive it is for researchers, particularly researchers in the field, to be sexually harassed. This is both true of men and women. It's heavily targeted towards LGBT scientists and women of color, especially. It's something that the report clearly showed holds back science uh, as much as it does harm to the institutions involved and to the scientists that are affected who, by and large numbers, uh, leave science altogether due to the impact of this, uh, of the harassment. Also brought to light that academia is the second most common place for sexual harassment in all of industry, uh, second just behind the military. And it brought more light to a number of stories and, and and the work of many that have been working in this area for a number of years. Uh, years ago, we had Kate Clancy on the show to talk about some of her research in uh, establishing sexual harassment amongst field researchers. She testified amongst a congressional committee that was reviewing this report, and I think she really says it best. You could search for it on YouTube. It's It's a great listen. 2019 is going to bring more of these cases to bear. It'll be interesting to watch what happens as more high-profile cases of sexual harassment in science become adjudicated in the court of public opinion for good and bad. Number six, the kilogram is dead. Long live the kilogram. The kilogram was one of the last units of measure that still had a physical element as its center as its definition. There's a cylinder in the bowels of a building in France that was the true kilogram that every few years would be brought out and remeasured, and that would become the reference for kilogram once again. Of course, with any physical object, it changes. It was shedding a few atoms here and there over the years, so the kilogram was technically losing weight. I guess that's one way to lose weight in the new year. And so the kilogram was voted on to be redefined 
to be redefined by the measure of Planck's constant. That's 6.63 times 10 to the negative 34 constant, which actually has the unit of kilogram as one of its sort of associated units to it. So now we have a constant of the universe that will forever be the definition of the kilogram. Uh, this is the move that SI has been making for a number of years in terms of all of its units to have them standardized so that they're not uh, related to uh, physical entities anymore. But to me, I want the kilogram. I don't know if they're putting it up for eBay auction or what. I probably can't afford it. But if I could ever buy the original kilogram, count me in. Uh, and if Inquiring Minds listeners want to start a, a crowdfunding campaign so that we can all get a piece of the kilogram, let me know because I'm in. Today's episode was brought to you by GH Mum. What do a South African female DJ, a Wall Street businessman turned mixologist, and one of the fastest men alive all have in common? They all dared to push themselves and chase their dreams and make them into their own victories. This holiday season, GH Mum Champagne has partnered with Vice to showcase these amazing stories of personal triumph. So pop open a bottle of GH Mum Grand Cordon, get inspired, and celebrate your next victory. Hey, you never know, maybe next year your story will be featured. Visit ghmumvictory.com. That's G-H-M-U-M-M-V-I-C-T-O-R-Y.com to see all 10 stories. Number five for me was a story that's pure politics because 2018 was the year of scientists running for political office. We saw a number of candidates. We interviewed uh, a candidate here on Inquiring Minds, Jess Phoenix. Most of those candidates did end up losing in the primary. A few succeeded in winning federal seats, uh, about 11, depending on how you count. Uh, but to me, I think the important story was this underlying idea that scientists and engineers felt the need to run for office now. Maybe it was a sense that evidence-based policy was no longer an option anymore, and they felt the need to run. They saw the uh, potential for erosion of federal science spending. Maybe they were just fed up with how science was treated culturally over the last few years. We heard a number of different reasons. But that surge has me wonder if that surge is going to continue into 2019 and 2020. Because the the rate of victory wasn't high. As I said, most lost in the primary. But having a few succeed, uh, 11 total, depending on how you count, does give some hope and promise. Are we going to see more scientists run for office as a trend? I kind of suspect we'll see a decline from 2018 to 2020. There was the afterglow of the science march that I think led to a lot of people to run. There was sort of a, a a climate that was encouraging a lot of scientists to run. But I don't think we're going to regress back to where it was in 2016 and 2014. I think we're going to see more scientists be politically active. And to me, that's actually a good thing. I think that's the only way scientists can expect to get things done in terms of policy is to have a legitimate seat at the decision-making table. And so I find a lot of optimism in the face of all of the losses that scientists had this year, uh, that scientists are rolling up their sleeves and getting involved in politics like they haven't before. Number four was a story that I heard of first from Carl Zimmer, one of our guests this year, which was 
the rise of the Denisovans. This is a third species that existed in the early hominid kind of period during the time of the Neanderthals and others. And Denisovans were found in a cave in Siberia called the Denisova Cave. We think it was a burial site because there are a number of skeletons sort of dumped in behind this cave. And it's it's a well-studied cave given that we see all of these skeletons. What's interesting is that scientists this year unearthed a skeleton and when they examined uh, the heredity of this of this skeleton uh, via testing, they found that this quote-unquote Denisovan actually had a Neanderthal parent and a Denisovan parent, which is weird because this skeleton dated to about 50,000 years ago. But those two species split around 400,000 years ago. It brings to light like a, a number of things. One, it calls into question sort of the 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 migratory patterns of these different species at the time we didn't really think that neanderthals were were going in that area of um, siberia and asia uh initially but also the interbreeding this is a a huge discovery we didn't think that this kind of interbreeding was happening but it certainly was and it just reinforces that we as human species now are just a real weird amalgam of all sorts of different ancestors. We've known that to be true for a long time, but this discovery, which came as quite the shock to a number of scientists, uh, I think just reinforces that story. Uh, and I expect much more in terms of uh, this as they continue to unearth more skeletons from that cave. Uh, there's a great story about this in the Atlantic and the New York Times. I encourage you to read about it because it was one of those great sort of mis scientific mysteries on literally unearthed in a cave in Siberia. Number three, I know InSight gets all the love for its landing on Mars, but to me, the biggest NASA moment of the year was the launch of the Parker Solar Probe towards the sun. We rarely study the sun, maybe because it's so freaking hot, but we finally sent a probe directly into the hottest part of the sun, the sun's corona, which reaches over a million degrees. This tiny probe actually uses basically radiative cooling. It has like a radiator with a gallon of water. It's much more efficient in that, but it has that basic principle in it. And it's able to actually handle, withstand temperatures up to a million degrees. It hasn't reached the sun's corona yet. It's doing a number of flybys uh, and gravity assist to get closer and closer over the next few years. Uh, but as it does, we'll get all sorts of glimpses into the sun's magnetic field, its plasma, and how that complex system all works together uh, to contribute to the solar wind that we hear about uh, launching out towards us. That area of the sun is dynamic. It's violent. I can't wait to learn more about it. But to me, the engineering feat, don't get me wrong, sending insight to Mars that's able to dig meters on the surface is remarkable. But sending a probe that can stand a million degrees directly into the sun, there's something that's almost pure science fiction about that. But I guess that's what NASA is so incredibly good at this year. Number two comes courtesy of Science Magazine uh, in their annual list of top discoveries of the year. Uh, and I couldn't agree more. It's that the rise of single cell analysis. We are made up of trillions of cells, 37 trillion human cells by estimates, and probably more microbial cells than that. 
But new techniques in single-cell RNA sequencing really emerged over the last few years, and in 2018, really took off. And these uh, techniques of being able to sequence the RNA of a cell as it's sort of evolving of that single cellular unit, but do it over a period of time and do that over a set of cells, one by one, cell by cell, to give a picture of how those cells are interacting with each other so that we can cell by cell create a picture of a dynamic landscape that leads to all sorts of complex conditions like in uh, simple organisms like zebrafish, the growing of appendages, or or um, uh, they've done this in a, in a number of model organisms at this point. This is a fascinating area of study because understanding the cell-by-cell -cell dynamic uh, could lead to a number of huge uh, breakthroughs in terms of what a normal quote-unquote development cycle looks like. And if we understand what normal development looks like, if we have a reference for understanding how that proceeds, then we have the ability to understand how disease propagates in a way that connects back to a single reference point. So when, as we study disease, we're all working off the same data set. And I think that opens up opportunities never seen before. Number one is a story we've probably heard about most in science this year, and that's climate change. Uh, it's happening. It's bad. Report after report, both internationally and domestically, have emphasized that. You don't need to read each report to understand that climate change is happening, that it's accelerating, that we're seeing the impacts of it now in terms of rising sea levels, increased temperature, forest fires that re reached me here in my home in California, devastating uh, hurricanes and weather events across the world. It is the new normal. But it also brought to light how we talk about climate change in the context of this massive, massive problem, uh, that it is a global phenomenon. Uh, but in 2018, I heard more and more stories of climate change being tackled on a local level. Farmers working with scientists to rethink how they manage their livestock or their crops, uh, how they're managing changes in, in water availability, how local cities are changing how they uh, generate power, how they're adapting to rising sea levels. All of these things that are happening on individual, community, local government levels actually leaves me with a lot of hope that change is happening, and it's happening amongst us now. Uh, so this picture of, of a world that isn't trying to address climate change isn't quite true. It's just that the change is happening at a scale that uh, we oftentimes don't acknowledge, this local level. And I think if enough of that local change gets summed up, uh, the federal works and governments can't ignore it, and they'll have to adapt with them. So 2019 is a critical year for climate change like 2018, like 2017, like 2020 will. It's a year that we have to make changes if we're going to expect to see a different result 10, 15, 20 years from now. But to me, I leave the year much more optimistic than I did entering it about the efforts that's happening in climate change. And so don't let the reports bog you down. I've read a, a number of them, and it's certainly easy to get disheartened about our lack of progress. But at the same time, I see progress happening. I just had to look for it a little bit. 
That's it for my top 10 list of science stories of the year. I'm sure you have your own top 10 list, some disagreements with, with my own. If you have any stories that you'd like us to cover in 2019 and beyond, uh, reach out to us at contact and inquiring.show. We are so excited to bring you a whole new slew of interviews and science stories in 2019 and beyond. Thank you all so much for sticking with us this past year and many years previous. Happy New Year to your family and looking forward to a great year of science in 2019. See ya. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.